Hello everyone. Welcome to the 17th episode of the Women Startup Leader Series. In this series, key female ecosystem players from Bangladesh and beyond will discuss phases of angel investing and all things startups. In this episode, we have Maxine Cheng as speaker and Nisha Rahman, CEO of Bangladesh Angels as moderator. Maxime Cheng is the team lead of market capacity building programs at Roots of Impact, an impact link finance advisory firm based in Germany. She's also the program manager of the impact investing ecosystem building the program, Biniyog Prithi in Bangladesh, working with the Embassy of Switzerland and Lightcastle Partners to adjust both the supply and demand side of the Bangladeshi impact investing pipeline. Throughout her 10 plus years of experience, uh, working in the sector of impact entrepreneurship, she's gathered expertise in impact measurement and is a skilled translator of the subject to both entrepreneurs and investors and facilitated over 10 impact linked finance transactions globally as of today. Uh, we at BAN is uh, one very proud to welcome Maxime, uh, but also, you know, we're very, uh, you know, proud beneficiaries and uh, partners <laughs> in the Binyog Bhritti program. Uh, we've been, you know, we've benefited from the training that they uh, uh, that they're doing for to build the capacity of ecosystem builders in Bangladesh. We're also working with them uh, with a couple of entrepreneurs uh, in actually implementing that training, um, hopefully for their next round of fundraising. Um, and last year we benefited from their support. Uh, in uh, if you guys remember in the room, uh, we benefited from an early stage uh, their support uh, in building an early stage digital accelerator for healthcare ventures called Accelerate Bangladesh in partnership with another partner, Better Stories. Uh, so, you know, today's, uh, in many ways, it's sort of a, a homecoming of sorts um, in terms of being able to discuss with Maxime what's going on. But Maxime, welcome to BAN, and, and thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Excited to um, share a bit what we have learned <laughs> in the past one and a half or two years in Bangladesh. Absolutely. Um, you know, before we obviously go into dive into the idea of impact link finance and, and, and what that entails, particularly for Bangladesh. We'd just love to learn more about you. You know, where did you grow up and, and what did you aspire to be when you were younger? <laughs> um, cool. Um, so I'm originally from Hong Kong. Um, I spent most of my um, time growing up in Hong Kong as well. But then um, I think around 17, I started to venture out of the city uh, where I grew up and spent a lot of time in Germany, a little bit in the States. And yeah, since then, I've been mostly living abroad. And right now, based in Germany, um, and have been working with Roots of Impact since 2017. Um, my background is in po public policy, specifically in impact evaluation. And um, so that's somehow eventually that um, led me to uh, impact investing. Uh, as I was writing my thesis about um, impact measurement and evaluation, but for social entrepreneurs and specifically in the context of social impact bond. Um, and that's, yeah, kind of um, starting to venture into the industry of impact investing um, with that. Um, yeah, I guess that's what I have to say about myself. That was the question, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And 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 how did you end up finding the the folks at Roots of Impact? Ah, right. Um. So yeah, as I said, I I have been actually very interested in impact entrepreneurship since two thousand and six. Actually, that was the very first time I came across the concept. 
And uh, in around 2010, 11, I started to volunteer to some um, like pioneers, so to speak, of impact entrepreneurs in Germany and uh, in Hong Kong or China. And then afterwards, I also, um, I, because of my studies, I focus on impact measurements. Um, and I worked with Impact Up also um, during my master's degree in, and uh, get a little bit more in-depth uh, experience or more first-hand experience, so to speak, with impact entrepreneurs to understand what they actually need and also uh, what, is, what does it mean in terms of business and financing. And so that's somehow like started, like that's how I started my journey. Uh, and eventually um, um, I came across Roots of Impact because back then um, there were not that many people in Germany that um, know about impact investing or that are actually working in the field. And so whenever people come across anything that talk about impact investing, they usually forward it to me. And that's how I came across Roots of Impact. And um, since then, I'm very happy to be with this gang and doing all these work that I'm also going to share a bit more uh, in a bit uh, in the session today. Uh, but yeah, that's how I get to this very special and unique um, uh, company. And um, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> awesome. And as we kind of dive into the, the major nodes of activities for Roots of Imp Impact. Uh, one of the the biggest kind of um, you know thrust, the thrust of the organization is obviously propagating um, impact linked finance through different mechanisms, including obviously uh, financing, but also capacity development, um, as well as policy and advocacy. More. Um, so yeah, I guess I would just quickly walk you through some basic um, ideas about impact linked finance, uh, because that's at the core of what we do. Um, but maybe also I will take you through a little bit of a journey of how we started actually at Roots of Impact. Um, in fact, uh, I'm not entirely sure uh, like if all of you have already invested in some sort of startup or not. Uh, but what I'm showing right now is that generally for any type of startup, they always go through uh, experimentation um, phase. And then before they get to scaling, actually there's a critical stage when they're too large for grants or microfinance, but at the same time too small or too risky for institutional investors. And there's always this uh, financing gap, um, regardless if it's for a traditional startup uh, or impact startup. And of course, the problem is not only that they have a financing gap, but particularly for impact entrepreneurs, Mm, the tricky part is that um, because what, what, what distinguishes impact entrepreneurs from normal tech entrepreneurs is the social value or the impact that they're creating. But at the same time, most of the time, this particular impact and this value that they're creating is not really captured um, in market price. And so that makes it quite difficult for them to raise uh, capital um, even more so than traditional tech startup. And so the whole company actually starts with the question, um, which is what if entrepreneurs were paid for all the social value that they create? And we started to ask ourselves, how could this look like? And uh, yeah, what could help them? What could we do to help them? 
And so um, Bjorn, our founder and CEO, who uh, has been a banker for over 20 years before he started Roots of Impact, uh, together with uh, part of our team, has come up with this idea of uh, rewarding the entrepreneurs uh, for the impact that they do with financial incentives. And the very first instrument that we have pioneered is called Social Impact Incentives. The idea is that by uh, pricing in the value of the impact that these entrepreneurs are creating, we're improving or creating additional value for the impact entrepreneurs so that we make them more um, appealing to uh, investors. So um, this is how the mechanism of SYNC works, basically. Um, uh, basically, we agree with uh, the impact enterprise uh, what kind of impact that they would like to generate and what uh, what kind of impact that once they achieved it, they can be rewarded. And uh, in the process, there is an outcome pair and uh, the impact that uh, we've pre-agreed on in the contract will be verified after they have achieved it so that we can like see how much payment that they are able to get. Um, on top of this, um, actually SYNC is structured in such a way um, that it is conditional to additional investing, uh, in, uh, raising um, condition to external investment that they raise from private investors. So um, basically it's a relatively straightforward uh, contract uh, between the impact enterprise and the outcome payer. Um, and the payment is very much based on the performance, uh, not just target. Like, so it's kind of, you know, if you only achieve 70%, you get 70% of the uh, reward that we have agreed on instead of a um, binary kind of uh, yes or no um, structure. Um, and uh, for us, uh, for the thing to work, we did not specify what kind of investors that uh, you have to work with. And um, mostly what we care about is that it is going to be a repayable investment. So that's kind of how thing is being structured. And that's how we started. Uh, with the introduction of saying the idea is really also to facilitate the impact entrepreneurs to uh, create additional impact and not just uh, to improve the financial performance, but also the impact performance. And as we piloted this uh, so social impact incentive since 2016, as we move forward and then we think that, hey, there's actually maybe more that we can do. Um, instead of just trying to pay for the value that impact entrepreneurs are creating, can we reward them even more? Um, so, and that's how SYNC eventually uh, expand into the concept of impact-linked finance uh, with several different uh, principles that I will also share a little bit more in a bit. Uh, but basically, um, SYNC is only one of the many different uh, like you can imagine impact-linked finance is a spectrum of different financial solutions uh, that link the reward to the achievement of positive uh, social impact outcomes uh, for market-based uh, uh, market organization. What it means is that at least we tend to uh, work with um, organizations that have paying customers and not just traditional NGOs or uh, nonprofit organizations only. And so that's how impact-linked finance come to uh, birth, so to speak. In 2019, we have um, um, released a report together with BCG and coined the term impact-linked finance. And impact-linked finance is at the intersection point of the blended finance, impact investing, and results-based finance. 
Um, what is very special about it is that we focus very much on uh, uh, shifting from output to outcome. So we would like to create financial reward and link them to the social outcomes that is generated by the um, entrepreneur. And here also the reward goes to the value creator, which is the entrepreneur themselves. And finally, one very important concept in impact-linked finance is that additionality, both financial and impact additionality is always at the core of how we structure a transaction. So these are uh, some of the kind of uh, key points about impact-linked finance. And there are many more design principles for impact-linked finance, which are demonstrated here, but I've already highlighted some of the key ones that I think would be quite important for you to understand as well as to distinguish them uh, from the other um, uh, types of instruments that we have seen earlier, uh, planet finance, impact investing, and also resource-based payment. And so, yeah, with that, I guess, um, I just wanted to share how Roots of Impact actually is trying to do this, apart from structuring the different uh, transaction, including SYNC. Um, and slowly, we actually have recently established a fund called Impact Linked Finance Fund to um, uh, that enable us to conduct transaction in, in a larger scale. And then on the other hand, we also um, understood that, you know, the market, apart from providing capital, you also need to help the entrepreneurs to be investment ready. And that's why we have Social Finance Academy and also other types of cap uh, capacity building activities that we do uh, with a focus on investment readiness as well as impact measurement, which are the two key um, skills or uh, knowledge areas uh, that is important for uh, impact investing. And then finally, we also uh, have been working together with university partners on research and education, uh, trying to establish uh, evidence base as well uh, on what it means by impact in certain sector and also to understand a bit better how impact linked finance work and whether um, the transaction uh, is really um, delivering what we are hoping to do. And with that, I think I'll just stop here first. Uh, that's already quite a bit of information. Um, yeah, over to you, Nisho. Yeah, and, and, and thank you for this overview. And I think it answers a lot of the questions around, obviously, the relationship between SYNC and impacting finance and the relationship between impacting finance as a concept and, and all these other kind of concepts we might be familiar with, um, obviously, including results-based finance. Um, you know, curious, though, given the audience in the room, one question would be, you know, what is the ideal sort of touch point or collaboration um, in this mechanism with angel investors? You know, what role could they play um, in the context of supporting impact linked finance? Mm -hmm. um, so, so far, um, most of the impact linked financing instruments that we have been uh, implementing, there's always this condition that there has to be an external investor on board. Um, so in this case, I would say that the angel investors could be this particular investor um, that invests in the um, impact entrepreneur that we have been working with or we have been trying to structure the um, impact linked finance with. Um, because, you know, the amounts that we're paying for uh, the impact enterprise is not, um, most likely they are not sufficient for in a one single fundraising round. However, it, as we name it also sometimes as a catalytic financing. Um, so it's meant to, you know, put out there to 
um, create a slightly different risk, risk scenario for other types of investor to, to take part in also the transaction. Got it. So in, in many ways, you know, there, if, in one way, I mean, maybe in, from a commercial perspective, in some ways, the, the premium payments are almost like a revenue stream that they're working to generate. Uh, but to do that, they obviously require capital to be able to, you know, undertake these outcomes. And that's where the role of the commercial investors could be, whether it's through equity, as mentioned here, or even debt and mezzanine forms of investment as well. Um, mm -hmm. So that that makes a lot of sense. Um, another one, you know, for those in the audience and listening in, um, going back to the core principles, uh, and and all, you know, this is always a little bit of a, uh, you know, if 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 not, one's not in this space on a regular basis um, or new to it, it sometimes it's a little bit hard to understand. What is that difference between an outcome versus an output? <laughs> Excellent question. Um, I mean, Nisho, by now you should be able to tell because that's definitely one of the very core concepts that we touch upon in the uh, capacity building activities that we've been doing in the program of Binio Bridi uh, through the trainer trainer program. <clears throat> um, so how we call it, like, uh, let me give an example. Output usually describes the type of activities that you do, whereas outcome is measuring the effectiveness of this activity that you have delivered. For example, um, if you think about investing in education, um, vocational skills training specifically. So in terms of output indicator, you can say how many trainings you have given or how many people you have trained. But then the outcome is how many of them actually get a job that actually lasts, for example. So that will be an example. Got it. And, and another core principle <laughs> here is um, additionality, um, mm -hmm. right? And, and once again, we may at a surface level understand what additionality means, but you know, if mm -hmm. you can explain from the perspective of say structuring a sync, uh, mm -hmm. sync um, instrument. Yeah, that's also a very good question because it's also quite a um, development finance kind of jargon, I would say. Uh, but additionality, how we understand is that because you know, capital is limited. How can we make sure that we're really using it to create something on top of some like that could not have happened otherwise, right? So um, when we talk about additionality is we always ask about, you know, is this something that would happen anyways without our intervention? If that's the case, why do they need the capital, right? So what we're trying to achieve is that with this capital, we're incentivizing um, the impact entrepreneur to create something that they really couldn't have without this amount of money, or they wouldn't have been able to do it as quickly uh, if it were not uh, the incentives provided by SYNC. Um, and when you think about additionality, sometimes it's about financial additionality. For example, is this really a case where they have difficulty in raising capital from uh, traditional commercial investors? Or is this uh, a case of impact additionality uh, where they simply could deliver more uh, in terms of either scale or in terms of depth of impact that they could create? So these are the different dimensions of additionality. Um, but I think what I would like to highlight here is also that apart from these principles, um, the beauty, so to speak, about SYNC is that it's very, because we are very much focusing on um, the outcome. So we don't really care so much about how you 
uh, deliver or how you are going to achieve the outcome. So in that sense, it creates quite a lot of flexibility for the entrepreneurs to pivot their business model, which is very common, especially when you're dealing with such an early phase kind of companies. So um, I just wanted to highlight that because very often we also get questions from the entrepreneurs that we work with. Um, so are you giving me, so I have to only deliver this activities? Do you check how I use the money? Um, I mean, of course we care about whether you use the money for like, delivering the impact, but really like being so outcome focused, um, it really creates certain flexibility for the entrepreneur in terms of how they decide to go about this goal and how they're going to achieve it. I think that's such an interesting point uh, because, you know, we at Bangladesh Angels also uh, wrote an article on this last year because we were seeing this phenomenon of so many NGOs in Bangladesh, you know, because the you know, the funding is dry up from a donor standpoint are now trying to go into, you know, trying to raise commercial capital. And, and sometimes they have a lot of trouble making that leap. And, and one of the biggest challenges we've seen is that when you've structured your entire organization around mm -hmm. meeting the, the, um, the uh, shall, shall I say the output-based um, approach of many donor projects, uh, you know, meeting certain level of activities, um, having, you know, to deliver certain levels of KPIs, uh, from that perspective, it becomes very hard then to, you know, pivot to this particular model where, yeah, you, you are delivering outcomes, right? Whether it's outcomes on behalf of payers like yourself, but or more importantly, outcomes on behalf of your customers, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and an enterprise is constantly pivoting on that side. And so sometimes it's almost, um, you know, where we are wary of companies that have raised too many grants before is that... They are built around, you know, one, chasing those grants, but also fulfilling mm -hmm. those grants and not always very flexible in, in changing their business model, which is exactly what you should be doing, right? Whenever we cut a check as angels, uh, we fully understand that, you know, you, although you might give us a 12 to 18 month plan, and we definitely want that plan because we want to see what you want to do, what vision you have, mm -hmm. um, et cetera, and we want to see where the money is going to go, we fully understand that that's going to change and it should change, right? If, if you're looking mm -hmm. for product market fit. So this is quite interesting because, one, I mean, particularly if those outcomes can be tied to your core customer base, uh, then, you know, that creates a lot of flexibility in the enterprise and, you know, doing the pivots if necessary. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an interesting discussion because I think like in the event that we had last week, uh, there was a question from the audience also, which is related to, you know, if you focus on impact, does it have a certain implication on the financial return? Uh, because I think when we talk about outcome, um, maybe the traditional um, business KPIs do not necessarily like have a direct overlap with what we talk about as outcome indicator or outcome KPIs. But then if you really think uh, deeper about it, especially nowadays, it's always about user, right? Like you have even like an industry called user experience. And so it's really about like kind of combining and connecting, you know, if ultimately what you're trying to do is to serve your customer needs. And in the case of Impact Entrepreneur, you are indeed trying to improve the life of your customers, which probably are from a slightly lower income group or like in the rural areas, but still they are your customers. And so the mindset from my perspective is still very, it, it makes a lot of sense still because ultimately you're trying to serve your customers and you try to understand what are the barriers. And um, only if you can take care of that, your business can grow. And that's also how, um, I mean, impact also depends on 
the financial sustainability, right? If your company can no longer run, then there's no way of talking about impact, but then how to find that intersection and how to tackle that um, tension point, that's really also what we're trying to solve with impact linked finance. Another point I want to expand on, I think this is a great segue to the case study we have in mind for Bangladesh. Um, mm -hmm. And if I may, you know, I, I would also kind of share my screen. Sure. Um, and, and the company in particular is up on well-being, right? Because it, it ties in a lot. You know, this is a company that we at Ben actually tried to fundraise for two years ago. Uh, and it's a company, for those who are not familiar in the room, uh, they, it was started by an Ashoka fellow, very much a social enterprise that what they're focused on is, you know, the fact that we have millions of garment workers in Bangladesh who are constantly fighting against inflation because their salaries are pegged against certain kind of structural timelines and against, um, you know, policy directives. And so they're, you know, but they're not earning enough money. And so they're always struggling to pay for essentials. Oftentimes the founder, what he saw was at the end of the month, the first thing that, a, you know, our government worker would do once they get the money from their employer is they would run to their local grocer to pay off the, um, the, uh, the loan that they had taken from their grocer to pay for essentials throughout the month. And so as a solution, what he did was he worked with international brands who are operating in Bangladesh uh, and use them to go into garment factories to work with owners to set up these low cost grocery stores um, for garment workers through a membership based model. And in order to then create loyalty programs, he's also going into sort of value added products like healthcare insurance, health insurance, for example, and also is currently also working on a few financial products as well. Um, so Apon is an interesting case study because when, it, when we talk about the additionality perspective, because they have raised grants and, and they have managed to live on grants um, in the beginning as they were trying to figure out their model. But until now, they've really struggled or until very recently, they've struggled to access commercial capital. Um, now we're at a point with BAN where we're talking about, you know, we've got about pre-commitments of about $900,000 in equity for Upon that we're working on at the moment. But, you know, we'd love to learn more about, you know, how did this company get into Britti? How did their sync program work? And, and you know, what's, how are you structuring it um, to, to get a better perspective of how, you know, we're going to be working together on this company? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I think Apon is, as you said, right, it started by an Ashoka fellow. So from the quite from the beginning, it was a, the, the impact mission of this company is quite clear that they want to improve the livelihood of the um, uh, factory workers, um, mostly in RMG, um, yeah, RMG uh, sec sector, but also widening it up. Um, what we find interesting is that uh, they are quite a traditional uh, case where the impact is clear um, and also go quite deep, as in it really make quite a significant change on the person's life uh, in terms of income and saving, and then also eventually access to further services like health insurance that these uh, workers would usually have not even thought of paying for. Um, and of course, would not ever like ever have a health insurance, and therefore not go to the doctors usually, which actually affects uh, the attendance at work. Um, and so, um, the what what we find interesting also at the same time is, as you said, they have been surviving with grants. So, how can we help them? to get to a point where they achieve certain economies of scale so that they can uh, 
uh, reach a better PL status to be uh, appealing enough to the commercial uh, investors. That's really the case of upon um, when we think about or structuring a sync with them. Um, here, I think it could be interesting to share um, as in what are the uh, impact KPIs that we have agreed upon with upon well-being um, through the, the last year, actually, when we do the trans uh, structuring process. Um, so upon well-being, how they work is that they establish these uh, kind of uh, shops uh, in factory. Uh, and they sell groceries and also some other daily necessities and staple products at discount price to um, factory workers. And uh, it's kind of like a membership. So if you paid for a certain amount for over three months, then you are eligible for health insurance coverage. Um, and uh, you don't have to pay out of pocket. It's just because you have paid enough shopping at a pawn store at your factory. Um, so um, this is one part. Another part is that because uh, um, the, 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 the goods at these upon store, they are set at a discount price because of the partnership that upon managed to have with the factory um, and also with the uh, wholesaler uh, when it comes to these kind of uh, goods. Um, so this generates some sort of um, savings for these uh, workers. Um, so these two are uh, quite an interesting point for us as saying, you know, even if you do not necessarily increase the income of these workers directly, but their life actually can be improved because like they manage they manage to get more goods or they also manage to have health insurance without uh, out-of-pocket payments. Um, another interesting part was the gender perspective because um, what we learned throughout the process is that, you know, actually uh, most of the workers in these RMG uh, factories, they are female. Uh, but at the same time, because of the gender norms in Bangladesh, actually uh, quite often um, the decision-making uh, when it comes to household purchase is still very much in the hands of a male. Uh, but because of a system that upon has in place, you know, you can only be eligible for the health insurance if you are the customer, if you're the paying customer yourself. So we were thinking, oh, how can we change that a little bit, especially um, having known or having understood from upon that, you know, a lot of the factory workers, they are still paid by daily rates. But most of the time, female workers are the ones that are being affected uh, by not attending work because of uh, simply like the physical um, condition that they have every month that they would have period and then they would be absent from work and they are not attending to it because they don't have health insurance. And so through all these conversations, we realized that actually the gender element here could play quite an interesting point because it's not only about including women in the purchasing behavior, but it actually would generate economic benefits as well for both the workers and the factory when there is less absenteeism. So these three um, were finally being chosen as a kind of impact matrix that we have with upon. Um, and um, because we see that these are uh, impact matrix that do not necessarily only tell a story about the improvement in life of the workers that they serve, but also these criteria actually really would tell us about the scale or the number of rich that upon would have been able to reach during this period of time, which is also essential for them to reach economies of scale and eventually 
um, achieve uh, financial sustainability. And, and what's interesting, you know, one of the, from the perspective of trying to raise funding for them, what's really interesting is, um, you know, the, the SYNC project came about at a really great time because um, we see the number of 16 factories here. I know they're at 20 factories. So in, at the height of the pandemic, when many garment factories were closing down, uh, the sector, you know, there was a huge crisis last year. Um, Apon managed to continue growth. Um, and that's quite um, a special thing. And that's actually quite attractive for the investors that we're talking to is that, you know, despite what was going on in the, the sector, Apon had managed to continue uh, to increase their number of factories that they were operating in, the number of workers that they're operating in uh, with um, in their membership base and obviously their revenues as well. So I think that's actually, that that is going to play a big part, right? If that hadn't been the case, um, if, if SYNC hadn't come through um, and if F1 hadn't executed on the SYNC, then we might've had a situation where, you know, they might've been set back by 12 to 18 months because they wouldn't need that time to ramp up again. Uh, their mm -hmm. numbers, they would might have had to close shops, right? So that that's quite actually, you know, that's that's an additionality from my perspective, I think, mm -hmm. uh, that the the sync program has provided for up on um, mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely, mm -hmm. um, and you know, the we'll we'll share the link uh, to the audience, and and hopefully some of you can join in up on this round if, as well. You know, feel free to ask us about it. Uh, but we'll move on now uh, for the sake of time. So, you know, maybe we'll go to another kind of um, element of, you know, ROI's work, um, as, as well as the Brinti project in Bangladesh is obviously the Social Finance Academy. Um, mm -hmm. we, we, the band team, found a lot of value from it. But once again, you know, what, what made, you know, what is the purpose behind the Social uh, Finance Academy and how is it used to help entrepreneurs and accelerators? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, right, the whole company basically start by asking the question, what if uh, social entrepreneurs can be paid and rewarded for the social value that they're creating? Um, on one hand, if you think about impact investing as a market, there is supply of capital, but then there has to be demand side that actually can take up the capital. And so, you know, even if just making the, uh, the capital available to them is not enough, we have to kind of also provide capacity building. And that's why um, uh, Social Finance Academy is being set up to support the impact entrepreneur side to actually learn the language about so that they become investment ready, but then also at the same time manage to articulate and keep track of the impact, which is the additional value that they're creating on top of everything else uh, better so that it makes sense to, you know, talk about impact investing. Um, how it works is that so far, um, especially in Bibridi, we're actually working uh, largely with the uh, incubators and accelerators or intermediaries, for example, like Ben, because, you know, we want to scale uh, our impact. And so if we work with these accelerators and train them locally so that they're able to continue the work that they do best, because they also know the context much better than we do. What we're really trying to help our additionality using the term uh, of Social Finance Academy is that we support, uh, we fill in the gaps of investment readiness and impact measurement and management so that accelerators or service providers, intermediaries, they are able to be in a better place to support impact entrepreneurs in the long run. Um, and these two topics are particularly important as the entrepreneurs is preparing to raise uh, funding from uh, impact investors. 
Um, and especially when we talk about impact-linked finance, where uh, impact there's quite a bit of demand on the impact track record and also the ability to uh, keep track of further data and demonstrate uh, whether you achieve the impact KPIs or not. Um, so yeah, that's really the idea how Social Finance Academy started. And it's been incorporated in some of our market building uh, programs, for example, like Vibridi. Um, and um, so far, I'm, I'm very happy to hear from, for example, Nisho, uh, but also other uh, players in the field like Better Stories or Bragg Social Innovation Lab telling us that it's really actually meaningful for them. Or even for some of our portfolio companies telling us that, oh, you know, through the support of the trainers that you have trained, um, we get to understand, oh, this is actually a part of the value that we're creating. Some of them, they come from more tech traditional um, startup background and not necessarily coming uh, from an impact driven kind of perspective when they start the company. And through these training, they are also better able to capture even, even that social impact part of the value that they're generating. Uh, and so, yeah, that's really what we're trying to do with Social Finance Academy to prepare a pipeline of uh, companies um, that are ready to take up impact investment. And, and, you know, one thing I remember on the impact or in investment readiness side, Obviously, you know, some of those, uh, you know, we were familiar with, but I think one of the biggest takeaways was obviously the different types of instruments, right? Mm -hmm. And we're trying to experiment with that with um, entrepreneurs in Bangladesh, because obviously we're very mm -hmm. used to equity, you know, we're used to kind of safe notes if it's outside the mm -hmm. country, but things like revenue share, profit share, um, and other types of mezzanine forms of finance is something we're very keen on pushing uh, mm -hmm. because a lot of entrepreneurs these days that we're working with, you mm -hmm. know, they're generating revenues and, and oftentimes they have to finance those revenues uh, on one hand, but they're not necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily in a position, in a, they don't necessarily want to dilute too much, right, just to finance, you know, the growth of those revenues on one hand. And the other side is, particularly in the context of Bangladesh, there's a lot of desire for Sharia compliant types mm -hmm. of financing, you know, not just simple debt, but, you know, with an interest rate, but something tied to an underlying kind of cash generating asset or a set mm -hmm. of activities. So that, that was a, you know, a big kind of thrust that we got out of the program and obviously go through the finance Academy. And hopefully we'll see some of that, you know, mature soon, uh, you know, with some of the case studies from our companies. And second mm -hmm. on the impact management side, another, you know, element that I found quite useful uh, for in the context of BAN was, you know, we were always thought that impact is a separate set of activities that you, or impact measurement and management is a separate set of activities, but I think it, it places a lot of premium on how to embed that within uh, an organizational, you know, life cycle in or, you know, within the customer journey and, and just whatever the company is already doing, right, to improve its business. And yeah. I think that's actually quite valuable, uh, and especially as we undertake the voucher program. Uh, with a couple of the companies. One is Moner Bondu, which uh, is a, a platform to connect people with mental health care, which they've actually done quite well during pandemic, uh, actually providing that digitally. And, and second, you know, Shadheen Fintech, which is a, a P2P lending platform for the unbanked. Um, you know, both of them have raised investments from commercial investors through BAN, but now the next step is how do we help them raise their next round of capital through impact investors and, and we'll be benefiting uh, from the voucher scheme program uh, from Bridti to be able to help them hopefully, you know, build the collateral for it. But, you know, for the audience, you know, if you can also explain what the voucher scheme does as well. Ah, sure. Um, so basically the voucher scheme is that, you know, we have trained all these amazing service providers and incubators, um, but then how can we make it also sustainable, um, like locally, instead of like, 
um, like really we want to create also a market for demand for these kind of services. And so uh, the, through the voucher scheme, we basically uh, offer uh, vouchers to impact entrepreneurs uh, so that they can uh, pay for the services offered by the service providers on the topic of investment readiness and impact management. Um, so um, at least it's kind of like a, a market in the making uh, instead of traditionally that we think, oh, anything related to impact, it should be grant-based, no one should pay for it. Uh, and um, we would like to, you know, how we see the success of our program is that, you know, we're no longer needed because the local players can do it themselves. And so that's also the one of the rationale behind why we structure or design such a voucher scheme uh, to enable local entrepreneurs to work with um, service provider, but in a more uh, market-driven way. Perfect. And we'll be hopefully sharing more information on that as well um, in, in the chat. Um, you know, we're getting at the tail end of the conversation. So I definitely wanted to touch on a few reflections um, mm -hmm. and, and topics that, you know, I know are important to you and important to us as well. Uh, so the first one is obviously gender lens investing. Mm -hmm. And in particular, you know, uh, this is something we struggle with as well. What specific barriers prevent more women-led startups from being funded from your experience working with entrepreneurs around the world? Mm -hmm. um, I think um, this is quite a hit topic this year uh, when it comes to female uh, entrepreneurs engagement, but actually it's not something new. Um, um, generally, female entrepreneurs tend to get less um, access to network and resources, which often is uh, one of the door openers to funding. So that's traditionally what is, uh, is, is a common barrier, not only in Bangladesh, but worldwide. But what I also learned uh, through the past two years working with local uh, actors, including LAM, YGAP, or uh, all these different uh, also entrepreneurs is that in Bangladesh, I think um, there is still certain gender norms. For example, um, woman is supposed to do what kind of job? And that limits kind of the, the possibility for women to take up the role of being the entrepreneur. Um, very often entrepreneurs, uh, female entrepreneurs are successful uh, in Bangladesh. It seems that um, simply they, 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 their family are very supportive and kind of um, do not have biases or towards them taking up the role of being an entrepreneur. Um, so that's something quite interesting, um, but at the same time, I think it's, it's a little bit hard to, to tackle right away. But what I find really helpful is really to kickstart, first of all, the conversation and have more awareness around this topic, as in like, okay, actually, how many female entrepreneurs do we have? What are the hurdles that they are having right now? And also tape into the existing known female entrepreneurs, because they tend to be the network that other female entrepreneurs would look up to or to reach out to and create their own um, access to either knowledge or capital. Um, so if you're running any sort of incubation program or working with entrepreneurs, the alumni network and how you manage it is also a key to addressing this kind of barrier. Um, anything else? Um, also in the due diligence process, for example, in selection process of investment opportunities, uh, there are actually a lot to be done uh, if you talk about gender lens investing, because it's not only about, oh, whether it is a female-led entrepreneur or not, it is also about what kind of questions are you asking during the vetting process uh, that create certain bias. 
that has been quite a famous uh, paper from Harvard Business Review, I think, is that, you know, uh, investors tend to ask on male entrepreneurs about uh, growth projection or how would you deal with it like, when you reach XYZ percentage of growth, as opposed to uh, female entrepreneurs tend to get questions about um, negative scenarios. So, um, um, what would happen if you uh, do not reach certain number of um, uh, revenue or market outreach, for example, it's just like how you ask questions, like naturally would create bias. So these are also like all the nuances in the, like for investor side, like when you do due diligence, when you are selecting, like when you're approaching investors, are you asking questions that are already biased towards the male entrepreneurs? So these are also like there are a lot of conversation about this and actually we are going to organize another event on gender lens investing on the 2nd of December uh, that we will talk also a bit more in depth about this topic because it can be, you know, when you first think about it, we most of us was just like, oh, it's about supporting female entrepreneur, but actually there's so much more behind it. Um, and there's this concept of diversity and inclusion that will bring in much more different lens and the topic of intersectionality um so it's going to be exciting and uh we'll be quite happy to see you there as well on the 2nd of december it's going to be a virtual event and, and we're excited to uh play a part in that as well um, and as part of that conversation is obviously you know going back to that supply and demand of impact investing that's also part of the supply and demand is you know how do we create more female angels right and increase that mm -hmm. within the the, the network itself and, and that, that's something we're trying to undertake within Banish to create a, a women's chapter, uh, BWIN, a Banish Women Investors Network. So we're, um, you know, hopefully we can talk more about that in the December 2nd event, but hopefully we'll, we'll launch that soon and, and involve uh, Roots of Impact and Light Castle in that as well. Mm -hmm. um, just also going towards the ending reflections, obviously the, you know, curious part of it's, you know, Brithi's a multi-year program. Uh, there's also potentially more phases in line. And so, you know, how are you guys thinking about the next phases, the uh, next years of Britti, particularly when, you know, and oftentimes the, the knock on, you know, uh, many of the ecosystem builders is we're not going beyond Dhaka, for example, um, or maybe, <laughs> or maybe some of those upcoming themes that are going to be very important in Bangladesh, including obviously gender equity and social inclusion, but also say climate change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so we really, um, next year we're still running another cohort of program and we, this year we are actually already quite happy that we have, uh, started to, uh, engage, uh, with incubators or accelerators like Total Ventures or Startup, uh, um, and I think that's how they called, right? That they're operating beyond Taka. And um, hopefully next year that travel can resume and that we get to be on the ground and also to go beyond Dakar and to also visit local ecosystem in the specific region and to talk about empire entrepreneurship a little bit more because um, partly is, yeah, you know, you need an ecosystem, but then at least people need to be a little bit aware and start talking about it first before you actually have uh, people looking into the topic or start becoming an impact entrepreneur. So that's something that we would like to do because Bangladesh is like a country with so many, like so much potential and huge population. And um, of course, um, focusing on Taka is great, but then at the same time, thinking about the concept of inclusion, right? We definitely want to go a little bit beyond just Taka. Uh, so that's one thing. 
Um, uh, we're going to uh, continue to uh, have um, transaction, uh, uh, impact link financing transaction. But then on the other hand, we're also looking into, for example, deepening certain concept when it comes to uh, gender lens investing, for example, creating more awareness, building events. Uh, but then when it also comes to, I think it's an interesting time to talk about climate adaptation as well, right after COP26, right? And that there has been a representative from Bangladesh talking about how Bangladesh is going to be affected by climate change. And um, we definitely have seen a lot of uh, creative solutions by local entrepreneurs when it comes to the topic of climate adaptation. And that's definitely one area that we are also quite um, interested in looking into. Uh, we're just waiting to find the info entrepreneur that is suitable for SYNC or RMF. Uh, but uh, these two topics are definitely quite high on the um, topic of interest. And we're also probably going to have more uh, events uh, about these topics and impact linked finance. How do we connect both of them together? Um, so yeah, that would be the plan. And as for um, beyond, we're just really hoping to, you know, to, to check how um, this program that we have launched in Bangladesh uh, actually create uh, additionality for the local ecosystem. And so we're also doing uh, research with some other universities to check how effective these trainings are. And um, if they work well, we hope to bring them or this model to also other places in the region. Um, I think one of the um, lessons learned, so to speak, in the past few years is that you know, Bangladesh is such an interesting market because you, from Bangladesh, you all of a sudden you're working with investors also from Singapore um, and the region and not just in, within the country. Um, and I think this is quite an interesting development um, that we would like to take into and maybe to explore a little bit more um, what can be done in Bangladesh and the region. So yeah, that would be um, what we are looking forward to um, explore uh, in 2022. Uh, last question, right, from my side. Um, obviously, there's young women who aspire uh, who aspire to get into the space, um, become someone like you, right? Uh, become, you know, senior in the impact investing space. Um, you know, if you were to give them, a, you know, an advice that worked for you personally, uh, what would it be? Well, let's be honest, there were a lot of things that did not work for me along the way, <laughs> because this is such a new field. Um, I think now is already at a better, I would say, um, if you're now a young professional that aspired to get into the impact investing space, I think you have more opportunities than I had like a few years back already, which is a great news. Uh, but at the same time, I think um, the, it's, it's such a new field and ex, an expanding field. So instead of saying that I want to be like her or I want to have that position, that like you can also be a little bit more creative as in what are my strengths? How much impacts like is like, you know, do I want to go for? Because if you think about, you know, we talk about impact investing, it's always about risk and return, right? If impact is the return that you get, how much risk are you willing to pay for it to get there? So that's, and then imagine yourself being an investment, the most important investment. So, you know, this is the career that I would like to pay. So this is the impact that I would like to achieve in terms of return. But then this is the risk that I could afford. So having a look at this and evaluate this, how would I invest in myself and then make the decision 
uh, when it comes to pursuing a, a career in this field. Um, so that's one thing. But then on the other hand, I think what I've always been telling people that are trying to, to, to get a job in um, um, the impact investing field is that, you know, get your hands dirty, start talking to impact entrepreneurs, because only if you understand where they are coming from, you are able to better support them either as an investor or as um, a lawyer or as, for example, what you're doing in short, like facilitating investment for them. Um, so yeah, start talking to them, find out who they are, listen to the stories. That's always, this hands-on experience always help. Um, so yeah, that's what I think um, would be some little lessons learned from my side. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to the, the point about outcomes versus outputs, mm -hmm. uh, you gave a great example about employment, you know, and, and someone mm -hmm. being employed being one kind of outcome. Um, but, you know, how should one go about measuring the length or the mm -hmm. duration of that, right? The duration of an outcome. What, what makes a, an outcome an actual outcome as opposed to something that, you know, just briefly happens and may or may not stick? Mm -hmm. That's actually an excellent question because, I mean, generally it depends on what you're aiming for. Because, for example, if you're an impact investor, you have quite a bit of a um, influence, so to speak, to decide on how far you want to go in terms of impact. But also generally, uh, the concept of time, of materialization of impact is it also affects the value because, you know, the longer it takes for an impact to materialize, it means that there will be many more other factors that could affect this um, process of reaching the impact. So maybe you cannot claim as much that, oh, this is solely because of my contribution, because this person might have also received other help um, in five years time, instead of just, you know, understanding that they got an employment like six months immediately after your training, for example. So it really depends. But then I think here, it's really about having a conversation with the entrepreneur or within your team itself, like when you decide on your investment um, strategy or investment um, rationale, so to speak. Um, if your goal is to create uh, meaningful employment, meaningful employment, what does it mean for you? Meaningful employment that these people actually are being employed for the skills that they're trained for and that they have a, like certain stability in terms of staying on the job for at least, let's say, one year or two years, for example, uh, because then, you know, throughout the, the period of being employed, there could be also many other uh, factors that you that could affect why they would stay or why they would want to leave the job, right? Like maybe they have a better chance of uh, being promoted in other companies or whatever. But then I think like setting a realistic goal in terms of like the length of meaningful employment, this is something that's like you as an investor could have a good, um, um, influence over, but then I'm just trying to explain to you um, what would be something that could be realistic to measure or to, 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 to claim your control over. So I hope that answered to your question. And another interesting topic, it's very timely, right? Uh, does ECG, ESG tie in with impact like finance? Mm -hmm. If so, how? Okay, so um, impact linked finance, as I explained earlier, uh, one key aspect is the, uh, the idea of uh, outcome focus and also additionality. 
additionality means that you know you are trying to create impact that would not have happened otherwise without if it were not because of this investment. Whereas a lot of times when you look into ESG investments, what they're trying to do, I'm not saying that all of them are, but most of them, uh, when you just look at an ESG portfolio, what they're trying to do is not necessarily actively creating positive impact. What they're trying to do is to guard against um, negative impact. So what they're trying to do actually is do no harm. But an impact-linked finance, because we focus on the outcome and also the concept of additionality, what we're trying to achieve is that we do not only want to do no harm, but we want to actually create positive impact on top of that. So that's the difference. Uh, but then what could tie in the both the different topics of ESG investing and impact-linked finance is that both of them with the idea that would bring us closer to, for example, the SDG goals, for example, um, yeah, like related to like less environmental pollution, for example. But then, as I said, like, are you do you, are you happy with just doing no harm or do you actually want to actively contribute to positive solutions to address these problems? So these are very two different way of dealing with the situation. Got it. And I think the, the next question, I think, ties in with maybe a sort of, you know, preconceived notion that a lot of people have that impact investing means it's below market, right? That it doesn't generate above market returns. Would you agree or no? Um, I think it's always case by case, um, dependent on the business model. Um, but then um, I think it's always, a, always about, again, risk and return, right? Like, um, how much risk uh, this particular startup has because of the impact model um, is sometimes is not necessarily a negative relationship. Um, they're also, for us, it's also, when you think about impact-linked finance, as I mentioned earlier, we are trying to address the tension between the impact and the business uh, model, for example. And sometimes, um, some of the entrepreneurs are just very genius in identifying the sweet spot where the impact and the business model intersect. And so actually there's no trade-off. But then of course, there are also many other cases that there is of course inherent trade-off because what you're trying to do maybe to serve the BOP segment customer, of course, the margin is not as high as a traditional tax seller where you're serving the urban population. So it really depends. Um, but I think is irresponsible to say, no, of course, no, of course, there's no trade-off. I think this is not the right answer. Um, but yeah, there are also cases where, you know, if you manage to find that uh, intersectionality through the business model design or uh, with the particular solution that you're offering, uh, there's also a chance that actually it reinforces the business return. Excellent. Uh, I know we're a few minutes over. Uh, I know it's quite late in Bangladesh. Uh, mainly because I'm there now, but uh, uh, Maxime, <laughs> Maxime, this was a great conversation. Looking forward to having many more, uh, both virtually and physically, uh, and looking forward to more collaborations in the future. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, and uh, I hope um, you all feel a little bit inspired uh, for the weekend. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and, and beyond, and beyond. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much, Maxime, and, and talk to you soon.